You are listening to episode 20 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher, welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Day four, a courageous mind for courageous action. What is important? A mind that is brave and defiant in the face of calamity, not just opposed, but hostile to luxury, neither courting nor fleeing danger. One that knows not to wait for fortune, but to create it, to go to face both forms, unafraid and undismayed, unshaken either by the turmoil of the one or the glitter of the other. Natural Questions, Book 3, Preface 13. As practicing Stoics, our equanimity is not derived from passivity, inaction, or avoidance of challenging and potentially troubling people and events. We do not stand by and let fate take its course. Instead, as Seneca makes perfectly clear in this passage, the Stoic is a person of action who is brave in the face of calamity and potential bad fortune. Stoic practice is not limited to that inner work that we discussed in day three. In fact, that inner work is not even the end of Stoicism in itself. That is not the goal. The goal is the development of an excellent character, virtue, and that can only be achieved through engagement with the people and events that can help us develop our wisdom, courage, justice, and moderation. Ultimately, the development of that inner strength and character empowers us to engage serenely with the clamor and chaos of humanity and cosmic events so that we can fulfill our role for the good of the all. As I stated before, there are innumerable roles that can benefit the whole of humanity directly or indirectly. More often than not, we do not have to look very far to discover our roles. Fate typically ensures that our roles find us. This passage is not concerned with how we discern our roles. Instead, it is focused on our preparedness to fulfill the roles in which fate places us. According to Seneca, a person who is fully prepared to face either good or bad fortune is, quote, unafraid and undismayed, unshaken either by the turmoil of the one or the glitter of the other, end quote. Such people possess three characteristics. They are brave and confident in the face of calamity hostile to luxury, and neither courting nor fleeing danger. So first, a Stoic is brave and defiant in the face of calamity. After we build an inner citadel in our soul, which we discussed in day one, and learn to see things from a cosmic perspective, which we discussed in day two, and learn to accept and love fate, day three, we are prepared to be genuinely brave and defiant in the face of calamity. As practicing Stoics, we know that external events are not up to us, and they cannot affect our moral character, our virtue. Neither can they disrupt our genuine well-being or eudaimonia. Stoic practice prepares us for every circumstance and any role that fate may present us with. This enables Stoics to be co-creators of their fate. Again, Marcus Aurelius and Cato the Younger provide marvelous examples of Stoics who maintain their excellent character while engaged in their challenging social roles. 
Our role may not be battling an invading horde or resisting a tyrannical leader. Instead, it may be as simple as teaching, policing, designing, building, leading, etc. within a community. Likewise, our role may be providing for and raising children to be good citizens of the cosmopolis. We sometimes overlook the fact that every role in life has psychological dangers. The specter of calamity, the potential for loss, frustration, or failure is present in every one of our endeavors. Therefore, the perspective of the cosmic viewpoint, combined with the strength and security of the inner citadel, is indispensable to provide us with the assurance that our true self, our soul, cannot be harmed by external circumstances. That is how the Stoic can be brave and defiant in the face of calamity. This is not arrogance or false bravado. Instead, it is the peace of mind and calmness of action that comes forth from a place within us that cannot be harmed by people or events. The courageous person is also hostile to luxury. Both Seneca and Marcus Aurelius turned away from the luxuries their wealth and power provided them. Some criticized Seneca for not doing it sooner or to a greater degree. Nevertheless, he did turn to a simpler life in his later years and argues, quote, one who is serious about philosophy as a way of life should choose settings that are conducive to sobriety and clean living. Too much comfort makes the spirit unmanly, and even mere location undoubtedly has some power to ruin one's strength. Draft animals whose hooves have been toughened by hard ground can travel on any road. Those that have been fattened in soft meadows quickly go lame. The soldier who has been posted in steep places becomes ever stronger. The urbanite is a lazy fellow. Hands that go directly from the plow handle to sword hilt can handle any kind of work, while those that gleam from manicure and massage give up the minute they have to get dirty. The harsher discipline of some places strengthens one's spirit and renders it fit for great endeavors. Letters 51, 10-11 In Letters 16, 8 through 9, Seneca argues that natural needs for life are minimal. However, when we succumb to the opinions of others, our desires can become, quote, unbounded. And the only thing we learn is how, quote, to desire more and more. Likewise, Seneca asserts everything we need for our welfare is ready and available, but luxuries come only at the cost of misery and trouble. Letters 119, 15. To mitigate the desire for luxuries, Seneca proposes physical training as well as mental training. Quote, set yourself a period of some days in which you will be content with very small amounts of food and the cheapest kinds and with coarse, uncomfortable clothing and say to yourself, quote, this is what I was afraid of. Letters 18, 5. Why do we need physical training? Because Seneca argues that we are steeped in luxuries and think everything harsh and difficult. Physical training helps us to wake the mind from sleep and serves to pinch it and remind it how little our nature actually requires. Letters 20, 13. Otherwise, we run the risk of drowning ourselves in pleasures because we have grown so accustomed to them that we can no longer do without them. At that point, we cease enjoying our pleasures because we are slaves to them. Seneca closes this passage with an ominous warning. Once vice becomes a code of conduct, there ceases to be any possibility of cure. Letters 39.6 The Greek word eschesis is used to describe both spiritual training and physical training. Both are part of Stoic practice, 
Nevertheless, Stoic ascesis is not the extreme form of asceticism practiced by renunciants. As Pierre Hedot writes, ascesis, which must be understood not as asceticism, but as practice of spiritual exercises, already existed within the philosophical tradition of antiquity. For the Stoic philosopher, moderation is the key. However, it becomes quite obvious from reading the Stoics that we Westerners have become so decadent that Stoic moderation will seem like asceticism to many of us. As long as we are slaves to these externals, we cannot be truly free. That is the reason we must become hostile to luxuries. Next, the courageous Stoic neither courts nor flees from danger. Seneca advocates moderation regarding danger. The Stoic, he suggests, does not seek it out, nor does he run from it. Courage is a virtue. Chrysippus defined courage as follows. Quote, courage, he says, is knowledge as concerns things to be endured, or a condition of mind which is obedient without fear to the highest law with respect to suffering and endurance. Cicero, Tusculan Disputations, 4.53. Courage, like each of the other virtues, prudence, justice, and moderation, is difficult to analyze in isolation. That is because the virtues are interdependent and entail each other. Moreover, virtue ethics does not offer ready-made rules for action like consequentialist and rule-based ethical theories do. Virtue ethics depends on the wisdom, courage, justice, and moderation of the virtuous person to make the best decision based on all the facts available at that present moment. Therefore, it should not be a surprise that Seneca offers his decision to go on living in spite of his desire to commit suicide as an example of courage, letter 78.2. Then, alternatively, he offers Cato's suicide as an example of courage. He writes, Cato's final and supremely courageous wound through which freedom dispatched his spirit, letters 96.72. Even apart from Cato's suicide, he provides us with a poignant example of a courageous Stoic mind. Cato did not succumb to the misconceived Caesarea attitude of love of fate. He could have maintained his position of political power if he had accepted the tyrannical rule of Caesar as his fate. Instead, he committed his life to the attempt to save the Roman Republic from Caesar. Nevertheless, fate had other plans, and he accepted that fate, even though it meant his own death. Cato lived as a Stoic and struggled against tyranny by living the virtues which were in his control and letting fate, which was not in his control, take its course. Cato lost that battle with Caesar, but he won the war. Cato's example still stands as a reminder to tyrants everywhere to beware of those who have the courage to resist. As Stoics, we cannot know the outcome of our actions. The outcome is not up to us. Our good intentions and acts may not succeed from our limited human perspective. Nevertheless, we must keep in mind that our only responsibility is to act appropriately, allow fate to do what it will, and then love the outcome. Here are some questions to ask yourself as you go about your day. Am I mentally prepared to face a financial catastrophe, physical disability, loss of a loved one, or an equivalent calamity? If not, what am I waiting for? Human history suggests that we are likely, each of us, to face at least one such event in our lifetime. Therefore, we should contemplate these possibilities in advance to be mentally prepared for them. This is the Stoic practice of negative visualization, otherwise known as premeditatio malorum. Next, ask, am I addicted to luxury? 
What can I do today to practice moderation? What regular physical practices can I implement to prepare myself for potential physical hardship? Do I courageously co-create my fate or do I tend to wait for things to happen? What action can I take today, even if it is small, that will make me the co-creator of my fate? As Stoic practitioners, our goal is to be strong enough to face both good and bad fortune with equal equanimity, so we can be, quote, unafraid, undismayed, unshaken, either by the turmoil of the one or the glitter of the other. Echoing the profound words of Rudyard Kipling's famous poem titled If, we must be prepared to meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on the platform where you listen to this podcast. That tells others this podcast is worth listening to and thereby introduces more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you have feedback or a great podcast idea for me, send me an email at chris, that's C-H-R-I-S, at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue exploring traditional Stoicism, where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire. Mm-hmm.